Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. We thank you for the gift of your son who, who uh, through his finished work, is carving out a people who are fallen um, and redeeming them and changing them into a bride that will be presented to him without spot or blemish. We thank you for the work that you're doing in each of us individually and collectively, and we pray that you continue to do it. Pray that you make our hearts willing to receive the instruction that you that you are um, giving us by your Spirit. And be with us today as we study now the seventh commandment in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to shut the door. <laughs> should start singing my prayers. Oh, just in time. I'm so sorry. I've left it over this whole time. Thank you for, for coming and appreciate you. Well, good morning. Uh, we're at um, Exodus 20, 14, the seventh commandment. We've gone over six others. Odd how that happens. On the first tablet, we looked at right heart. <coughs> what did we talk about with right heart? What was that about? Know the gods before me. Know the gods before me. Orients our affections toward God alone. Uh, right God. We can have all the zeal we want, but we need to trust in the God, not in the God of our imagination, but in the God who is. We saw in that first tablet, it was more vertically oriented. Dealing with the God who is, the heart that we have toward Him, um, the, the, the way we speak about Him. Don't use His name in vain, don't live lives. If you bear His name, don't live lives that, that minimize His character, His word, or His actions. The right rest, we proclaim, we gather together on the first day of the week to, uh, to declare the, the freedom and the rest that we have in Christ who is Lord of the Sabbath. And then we have moved on to the second tablet, we talked about. Honor your father and mother was, again, an orientation of the heart that we're trained to love God by learning to love and submit to our parents from, a, from a, the beginning of, of our lives. And then last week, we talked about the right regard for his image, the right understanding of the value of human life. Human life is a gift of God in all of its forms, from conception to, uh, to the last breath. And it's because we bear the image of God that we value human life. So that's where we are. This week we look at Exodus 20, 14. It's very long. Yeah. It's a very long, uh, a very long commandment. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. It's short and concise in English. It's even shorter in Hebrew. It's two words. What else needs to be said? Why do you think it would be so concise? Well, there's a... There's a um, <clears throat> I don't think that we really wrestle too much with what that means. We're, we're created to be in a... Uh, well, I said created to be. We understand... The, that if someone commits to someone else to stay with them for life, that it's a, 
male-female oneness relationship. We understand that that's how the basic unit of our society. We understand that that needs to be, um, you know, done in faithfulness, right? I mean, we get that. So why even put it here? Why? Why would? Why would God put that? Put that here. I mean, don't we? That's just understood, right? Yes. Understood, but not done. But not done. What do you mean? We have a problem with this, and we know stealing. We know killing is wrong. We know all these things are wrong. It doesn't mean we don't do them. Okay. It, what is he trying to show here by just putting on a very basic thing? He's showing the importance of it, how much it actually matters. There's there's a lot of things that he could say don't do. Mm-hmm. But he lists this in the top ten. Right. It's important. Put yourself in the place of the original readers here. What was going around and, and possibly happening in their own camp? What was the culture like in the surrounding areas? They came from Egypt, which Sure. So they came from Egypt, which had a lot of fertility God kind of things going on. There were rituals that involved uh, sexual activity. So, Canaanite religion. Do you, what do you know of the Canaanite religions? Some of the stuff that was going on there. They sacrificed their children. They sacrificed their children. That harkens back to the sixth commandment: don't murder. What else was going on? When I mean graphic, if that's what you're worried about, and we're not going to do that. But if you look at Leviticus 18. Moses goes through just a litany of things that was going on in the culture around them. Um, there, there's a, the Mosaic Code expounds on this commandment by condemning uh, and prohibiting acts of homosexuality, incest, bestiality, and premarital sex. It 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 is a um, an indictment against the culture around them of how they viewed sex. And really, this is not that far from creation, right? Adam, Eve, here we are, I don't know, 1,500 years later, if you want to go with that timeline. Um, And already there's all kinds of forms of off the norm, off what God's ideal was. You have examples of the perverseness of how we treat a gift of God. Just in Leviticus alone, what, by what it forbids. If it's forbidding something, it's going on somewhere, right? What does that tell you? What does that tell you about God's commandment, his calling here on his people? They're to be holy and different, set apart. To be set apart. And they're to be set apart this way, in this area of their lives. Um, This is a striking thing to state given the pagan sexual practices surrounding them. Um, Sexual purity is one of the marks of being set apart. I was asked this week by one of my um, high school students, um, why is homosexuality wrong if Jesus never talked about it? He never said anything about it. 
Did he? Did they use a red They used the message, I think. So, um, what? 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 It was a joke. It was a joke. Uh, what? Uh, what? What would you respond to? He didn't. Did he never? He never. Did he did never? He never said the words. He never said the words homosexual, right? He never said don't do this. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, he never said that. Well, he, he must have thought it was okay by silence. He said, don't, okay. don't commit adultery, and he said, no sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Plus, he is the word of life. He is the word. That's true. And where else do we read about the, the, the reiterating the re, um, of the, the, the ban against homosexual activity? Paul. Paul's letters, right? It's not like you pit Paul against Jesus here. Even so, let's say we just had the red stuff. Does Jesus have an opinion on homosexual activity? Yes. What is it and how do we know? How would you answer it? First of all, he said... He said Go ahead, Clint. He was talking in the New Testament and he said, you know, are we going to basically throw away the law and stuff and he said not one jot or tittle of the law shall be disregarded. So in indirectly, no, but also directly he's God. Right. And he said that in the past and he wrote the Bible so he wouldn't renege on that. He says I, I didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Exactly. Right. And he did that on our behalf. I Yeah. Yeah, he chastises the Pharisees saying, You don't know the Bible, on a response to a question, or maybe Sadducees. And he says, uh, In the beginning, uh, talking about divorce, it was not so. God created Adam and Eve, or, or male and female. What God has brought together, let no man separate. He, he expounds on that, or he, he puts that out as the standard, the norm. But he doesn't go into any other kind of practice like homosexuality or any of the things that we're... Like the woman that was going to be stoned, he did tell her to go and say no more. Okay. So we know that promiscuity in that way was, was, uh, was he, he labeled that as sin. But he never says homosexuality. He didn't call it adultery either. Well, he has, he has uh, addressed adultery, though. We see that in other no, places. No, I'm saying to the woman directly. Right. He but he does later, is what I'm saying. He does, he does address... But he doesn't... He doesn't say the word. So yeah. you can either lay out all the things you're not supposed to do, or you can lay out the things that you're supposed to do. And if you're not doing that, good. Uh, my response was in the NBA uh, player handbook, they don't require all players to be human. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we don't see donkeys running up and down the court. I mean, Dennis Rodman accepted. You don't see don- <laughs> you don't see donkeys running up and down the court. So what? What do we assume from that? Well, the assumption is that it's a human game. The assumption is that sex is between a man and a woman for life. That's the assumption. Why, why if you lay the groundwork, the standard, anything that deviates, deviates from the standard is wrong, is sin. It's missing the mark. It's falling short of the glory that God has set out to reflect himself. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. 
All right. So we talked about the negative. If we don't, if you don't, don't, don't break your marriage vow is the negative of the command. What's the positive of the command? We've talked about this before, how each of the commandments that are, that are the negative, you shall not, you shall not, have a positive implication, a positive... Uh, under- Keep the marriage bed holy. Keep the marriage bed holy. You're talking Hebrews 13. Good. And, and what do we mean by that? Uh, don't invite people who are not part of the covenant into it. Right. Well, we just, is, it is that only what it means? It means thoughts and intentions of the heart as well. And where are we getting that? From the other commandments. And Jesus. Jesus. All right. Why, why do we say that? Where, where does he talk about this? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. What does he say? It's in red, so it's really inspired. He goes from the heart out, doesn't he? Now, you're a good Pharisee living in Jesus' time, and you see, don't commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Two words, Hebrew words, pretty easy to remember, would fit nicely in your little box that you wear on your head. And so, you physically never touch a woman, look at a woman, you do this kind of thing all the time. You have all this outward expression of holiness and purity, and you walk with your head held high, knowing that you have not violated the seventh commandment. And along comes this carpenter who says, okay, that's the law, but you're missing the point. If you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. What in the world? I haven't done anything. I haven't hurt anybody. It's just in my head. What is is he saying there? What is the deal there? Right heart. <laughs> Good. Why is that a big deal? Because it's harmful to, to the person themselves. I mean, like, because they're focusing on that instead of focusing on God. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. But it's hurting them. Okay. What, what's going on? How, how, how uh, well, first of all, let's get back to the Old Testament. How serious does God take adultery? What hap- what's the consequence of adultery in the Old Testament? Do you know? It's the death penalty. Deuteronomy 22.22. I like the fact that it's easy to remember, 22.22. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so shall you shall purge the evil from Israel. So why is this important? Is God just a major killjoy when it comes to sex? He's just, he's a fuddy-duddy. Is that what we're saying? Is that what, he, is that what we get from this? And, we, and we've talked about this a little bit on, on our Friday nights as we've gone through the, the stewardship thing, that um, 
the relationship, the marriage relationship is one that reflects the Trinity in that there's, there's, there's many made one, right? There's two persons made one entity. Um, so there's a reflection of, of, of the Trinity there. Uh, we also know that, that Paul talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's that reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. Always an awkward topic. I got to be honest with you. Talking with this about you guys, with you guys, it's just, in, in, in public anyway. Talking about sex and stuff like this is just, oh, it's just all kinds of awkward. But hey, it's here, so we're going to deal with it. Um, tell me, uh, God's a killjoy when it comes to sex. Who made it? God did. Here now. <laughs> The profound divine response of thunder. Um, actually, uh, we have a more certain word on sex uh, from his Bible. Uh, Proverbs five fifteen. Take a glance through that sometime. Please not today. You'll be distracted throughout Philip's sermon. Um, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Another one. Just on your own time at a park. Um, just, just read it. And, and uh, again, not bashful about the joy of uh, God's gift of sex. Not bashful at all. I, I feel like an Englishman uh, talking about it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but it's in context. And you said that rightly. It's in context. It's meant to be within the context of a, a covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife. Friends with benefits cannot fulfill God's ideal here, right? That's not, the, that's not the plan. It lacks the context of that promised faithfulness. In casual sex, a man does not strictly love a woman, but uses and so abuses her, however willing she may be. That's not, that's not the model. That's not the standard. All right. I want to. I want to be clear on this too, because I think there's a a tendency in our culture, especially some of the Christian culture, that if you're single, what's what's wrong with you? Kind of idea, which is nonsense. Don't buy into that. Um, it should be understood that accepting as from God a life without sex, even though it may be temporary, because you may get married later, you may not. It doesn't make you less than human or diminish your worth. Some have been given a gift of celibacy. If you have, you're in good company with Jesus and Paul. So when somebody says to you, or implies to you, uh, why aren't you married? Why don't you go after her? You need a wife, or you need a husband, or whatever. Um, just say, I'm, I'm, I like the company I'm keeping with Jesus and Paul. I'm good. Uh, and, and, and things are happening this time. It's, it's not, uh, we've talked about this before, there are benefits and, 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 and there are pros and cons to both marriage and singleness. Mar- marriage, the, the pro is, um, well, um, the, and, and singleness, the pro... <laughs> I'm, just I'm trying to embarrass Tammy through this too. It's much better. It's much better to deflect your embarrassment onto someone else. Um, 
and it, it's a perfect tool. Um, uh, in, in marriage, in, there it is. Okay, I'll stop. Um, in, in marriage, there is the, the gift of reflecting the glory of God in, in uh, the anticipation of heaven and, and, those, and, 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 and how you live together and how you uh, love together. And so, but in singleness, there, there's that too. It's, it's just different. Does that, um, I'm bound to my family. That's a good thing. I should be. That's my responsibility. But I'm also, I, I can't fly off to, to India. <laughs> I can't, I'm not, I can't, I can't go to uh, Cuba because what if I get detained? I've got a wife and kids at home or whatever. There are things that I have to, I have to balance in light of what, uh, and what my responsibilities are. There's, there's a, there is a freedom in some areas, but a restriction in others based upon what a, Paul says it this way. Uh, a man who is married, is, he works to, to please his wife. A man who is single lurk, works to please the Lord. And same for, for women. There's a difference. There's a balance there uh, between the two. There's a sacrifice on one side, and there's a sacrifice on the other. There's a joy on one side, there's a joy on the other. It's just, but it's all good. It is. Because you can spend your time as a married guy thinking, gosh, if I were single, I could do this, 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 and this. And then if you're single, you're thinking, oh, if I were married, I could, you know. So you have these things that are always looking better than where we are. We're called in Scripture to be content where we are. And then, and then take it as God gives it. Right? So don't ever buy into the, the false statement that if you're not married, you're not living life to the fullest. There are certain elements of sanctification that happen in marriage, right? <laughs> there are certain things that you deal with that are difficult because you live with that person long enough and, and what was cute becomes annoying and then you have to deal with these things. That's part of, it's even more intense than being roommates. It's just really, because now there are kids involved and why did you say, anyway. So you have this element of sanctification that happens in marriage that you don't have when you're single. But when you're single, you have an ongoing element of sanctification that, that you're not dealing with. When you're, you're putting down something, right? And what God calls us to, even in temporary times, he gives us the grace to do it. So celebrate your singleness because it's where you are now. That's a good thing. Then everybody's looking at you, you're an idiot. You don't know. You know. No, I do know because... It's, it's a good thing. Um, all right. That was awkward. <laughs> okay, you're right. Um, sexual adultery uh, in, in the commandment is, is, um, is used by God often as a uh, picture of spiritual adultery. Do you, have we... Seen this in scripture? Hosea 16. Hosea, the book, um, <laughs> is probably the biggest uh, use of that. I mean, he has Hosea go and take a wife who's a prostitute. Now, if ever a marriage was set up for failure, <laughs> here it is. And they have kids. And it's, it's a painful thing to read. And you just imagine being put in this place. But it's a picture of the unfaithfulness of God's people to their husband. Because God puts himself in the position. He says, I am a husband to Israel. I'm a husband to my people. She is a bride to me. 
And he does that throughout the prophets. Hosea, of course, I think is the, is the biggest uh, use of that, of that theme. But listen to Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 5 through 7. For your maker is your husband. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Isaiah 62, 4, uh, the second part of that verse says, For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Jesus repeatedly refers to himself as the bridegroom. The church is called the bride of Christ. So I'm wondering, you know, when God is trying to come up with an analogy to make it known the, the, the jealousy that he has for the love of his people. He's just up in heaven thinking, oh, they're down there. What can I use? What can I use? What would be a good one? Uh, marriage, that's what I'll use, right? No. He created us with a built-in understanding of the level of his jealousy for the love and affection of his people within the very fabric of our being. We're built that way. This is an intentional thing with him to, to show us um, our need for him and his love for us. The idolatry committed by his people is likened to adultery. You've gone whoring after other gods, he says. And in that comparison, we understand that. I, we get all freaked out about the word jealous. That's a, always a bad thing. Uh, I'm, I'm very jealous for Tammy's affection. Um, well, I, I just am. And, and if someone were to try to invade on that, I would feel very righteous in, 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 in beating them down. And, and, and whether verbally setting up boundaries or whatever other kind of physical means might be at my disposal, I'm not going to allow anything to intrude upon that covenant bond that I have with her, including myself, right? So when we see that and God says, I'm jealous for the love of my people, do we get that? Do we understand that kind of, of bond and that jealousy that God has? So Jesus pushes this commandment beyond what everyone can see and do and what we do with our bodies. And he says that um, basically you can be a virgin adulterer. It starts in the heart. Like we saw with don't murder, the, the sin, the outward sin, starts with the sin in the heart. Adultery is the fruit of lust, like murder is the fruit of anger and despising the image, so, so is this. Okay, yes. Um, lust. What is lust? What is lust? Is it just sexual? No, it's uh, desiring something that you don't have and idolizing something that you have. Good use of word, by the way. We idolize something that we... Yes, so you're, you're basically saying, I want to be king here. I want this. This will make me happy and nothing else matters. 
um, we take what we want on our own terms, I guess would be a good way to put it, if we talk about lust. At, at its root, lust is idolatry, um, spiritual adultery. And all of us are adulterers <coughs> at some level. This commandment is aimed at us individually, but also at us collectively. We, um, as a body, are called to be set apart, to be different from the world. How, how hard is that in today's culture? Go to the mall. Uh, watch TV for five minutes. There is always some push, some call, some invitation to be king. Um, and can I just say this? We'll go back to the single thing, the awkward comment I did earlier. Um, being married doesn't change that. Isn't that disappointing? Being married doesn't change that. It's not like if you're a married guy, you're suddenly going to find every other woman unattractive. That's ludicrous. Um, it's not like if you're, if you're a married woman, you're never going to say, well, I could have done better. <laughs> you know, um, right? Uh, so, <laughs> that, no comment she says. She's waiting for the thunder. Um, <laughs> that's a draw to all of us, to all of our hearts, no matter what stage of life we're in. Um, it's not like if you stay single that, uh, that you, that you are, are, are then suddenly in a, in a position of uh, holy celibacy and never idolize the potential of a relationship. We're all drawn to this at some level. We're all adulterers at heart at some level. And we're called to be separate um, how do you remain? How do you, how do you how how do you act separately? What do you do? How do you fight against this when it's in your head? You wash it out with good stuff. With good stuff. <laughs> I need the Bible. Okay, I'm glad you said the Bible because I just can't do Barney. Um, <laughs> what? what <laughs> actually, that. That just invites me to violate the sixth commandment. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. You have to displace it by a greater affection. By a greater affection. Because you're constantly thinking about how I shouldn't do something. That's an obsession. Yeah. And you're trying to do something in your own strength. But if you, if you find a greater affection to pursue, it's a better use of it. And what could that possible greater affection be? Yes. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself in the Lord. Very good. Very good. And he will give you what? The desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. Why is that? Um, God, I'm delighting in you, therefore give me her. Is that what that means? When you're delighting in him, he's going to change your desires to be his desires. Excellent. Excellent. That's exactly right. And yes, we replace it by a greater affection. Yes, sir. I don't think they do. They know that the way endorphins, the the way your thoughts work, if you entertain certain thoughts, it like makes shortcuts to parts of your brain, so that you 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 like want this, so that it makes a shortcut and you can get what you want for a short time, but then it it never satisfies. Um, Is this like the mind palace thing? (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But it's almost like God knew that when He said in uh, Matthew five, um, even if you look at a woman with multiple intent, you're making that shortcut in your brain mm-hmm. to give you your desire for for a moment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you have to. The only way to break those shortcuts down, they say, is to make um, more satisfying, long term, like um, stronger connections with good things. Mm-hmm. And that, and this has come out in the research to go to Scripture in Jesus. Yes. Excellent. Christians. Christian research, okay. Um, but even pagans know that that's how the brain works. Sure. They just don't know where to go from there. But we do. Let's try 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, which I think talks about what you're, what you're saying there, that, that our, um, the shortcuts to the brain can, can be... Transformed to what is good, right, and true. Or do you know the New Testament doesn't talk about homosexuality at all? Just just for an apologetic point here, it doesn't. Um, so let's just read this and see what what Paul has to say here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't receive a lie. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's quite a list. Would you really put swindlers in the same category as homosexual activity, or greedy. And such were some of you. What does that imply? They're not that anymore. And such were some of you. What happened? You were washed with sex. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified. How? In the name, yeah? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All of us are adulterers, ultimately. Christ was and is faithful so that we may be made faithful in Him and to Him. And such were some of you. It calls for change. It calls for change. We can't stay there. He's not glossing over that these things are wrong. He's not glossing over that this is sin. He's calling for a change. And such were some of you. Don't keep living that way. Wash, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. What does that mean? How's that done? What's involved there? Washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus and by His Spirit. We talk about by the Spirit. What are we talking about? Through Jesus' death, His perfect life and righteousness and His death 
sacrificial death on the cross, um, we are we receive His righteous life to take care of the penalty of our sin and gain the power of the Holy Spirit through sanctification, which is a lifelong process of joining ourselves to the Spirit. That's a long, long statement. I think it's good through the Word. Through the Word. The Word is where we read about Jesus and His death on the cross. The okay. Word is what the Spirit washes us with okay. and sanctifies us with. Right. And we were justified because of what He did by the Spirit through us. Okay. How, what is, how does that work? Through the Word. Is it, what are we doing? We read it and just it's a magic book. What's going on there? We see that we, as such were some of you, mm -hmm. we were sinners, mm -hmm. we're convicted through the reading of the word and we repent and believe and then comes justification, sanctification through the spirit. I would not know that I was an adulterer at heart unless the law said you're an adulterer at heart. Woe is me. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Is that what Paul says? Such were some of you. The Spirit replaces lust with a greater love. A love for Christ. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross... He gives us the comforter. He gives us the convictor of our sin. He gives us the counselor. And, and, and the agent of transformation is his own spirit. It, he replaces lust, I want to be king on my terms, with a love for Christ submitting to him. What is pleasing to him? What does he desire? How can I serve him? And the spirit... Through his word and the means of grace that's available to the church, testifies, illuminates, makes much of the beauty of Jesus so that we long for him. We crave him, not the things that are lesser. That's what's going on there. He builds a greater desire for the beauty and worth of Christ over and instead of the lust in our hearts. Paul um, directs the focus of the marriage relationship. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does the Spirit do? He points to the only pure one. He tells us of the only one who has kept the seventh commandment. And it's in his holiness that we're washed. It's in his covenant love that we are justified. It's in his faithfulness that we are sanctified. His transformation of the law draws us to him. He is our only hope. And in the hope of his perfection and in the power of his Holy Spirit, we can begin to put into practice that step of sexual purity from the heart. You want to kill lust in your heart? Love Jesus. That's the answer. Love Jesus. And, and, and call, plead with him for a heart inclined to love his law. For a heart inclined to repent. For a heart inclined to...
to serve um, those of the opposite sex by valuing them as persons made in the image of God, not as objects of your kingly dominion in your head. That's how you kill it. Any other comments? I'm running a little long, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um, the way we live. You need a new reset button. scripture, I chew on it a lot more than I do just reading it in the morning. If I'm memorizing it, the words, I'm, I'm pondering in my head, what, what does this mean? Why is he saying it like this? And um, that leads to, um, to one, one, one great theologian said that, uh, uh, I'm, I'm watching this, but he said that the great, one of the great tools for the chastity of a man is the study of Hebrew. Because it's such a bizarre language. And, and you're in the Bible reading Hebrew trying to... And anyway. I commend that to you. I think Greek would be the same thing. Okay. Well, I think <laughs> it is important definitely to read the Word and help the question, but it's also important to do the other things like continue, do not let communion together, mm-hmm. pray. You know, the means of grace that have been given to the church. Yeah, being accountable and fellowship is, again, such an important thing. And, and being trustworthy in that accountability is important for that as well. So. One more thing, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, you know, we're real close to the sanctuary, so we hop on the stage. The world is such, you know, this is not what the world says is, is true. Mm-hmm. You know? So I've heard so often that, like, well, as, as long as you're not, you know, hurting anybody else or whatever, then and being a good person, mm-hmm. you know, just do what. Do what makes you feel good, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's just—it's just such a far cry from from the world's, you know, ideologies that it's a heart issue. Yeah, and that's that's where it starts, and that's uh, it's a hard thing. Yeah, it is a hard thing because all around you, the environment, the water that we swim in, is pushing us toward this this direction. This is the current, and we're to swim 
the opposite course, <coughs> the exact opposite course of not just conforming to some external standard, but from the heart wanting to please the God who made us. Everybody becomes a commodity to you. Yeah. Yep. It's true. It's true. All right. We probably ought to wrap up because we're going to start playing music here in a second. We could walk out singing, I guess, but that would be odd. <clears throat> Lord, I don't want to be... Um, flippant about this topic. This is a heavy burden. It feels weighty to guard our thoughts in this area when we're bombarded with images and thoughts of uh, pictures and, and all kinds of things and ideas of what um, happiness should be. You've called us to something different. You've called us to something greater than ourselves. You've called us to something uh, that is much larger than our temporary wants and desires. You've called us to be your people, to be set apart, to come out from among them and be different. So we pray that your spirit would do what only you can do in us. Cause us to be made willing in the day of his power. Cause us to trust him more. To love Christ more. Forgive us when we don't. We thank you that we can be forgiven because he was faithful to us even unto death. And that in submitting to the will of his Father, the triune God completed an action to redeem us from our own little thrones, that we may worship you and you alone as Lord of heaven and earth and our coming bridegroom. Make us faithful and keep us from idols, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.